Hello and happy Mother's Day, or at least Mother's Weekend. It's a time when everyone who had a mother can celebrate. Some of us can be with our mothers and celebrate that most intimate of relationships. Some of us can speak with or Skype with or electronically speak to our mothers. Others, of course, can remember and be grateful for the women who gave birth to us, who raised us, who loved us. My mother, Bess Getty, was born in 1902. She lived 88 years. I drove her ashes 426 miles so they could be placed in the grave with my father's where she wished them to be. As a girl, she really hated the name Bess. So after her marriage, she became Betty. She said there was no way I could be Betty Getty. Her brother always said that our branch of the family had the brains and good looks and the other branch got the money. Betty was a loving, positive, happy woman. She loved to sing. She and I often harmonized to the radio in the kitchen. She was the eldest of four kids. She remained the family arbiter, peacemaker. Although she was a self-proclaimed city girl she, and was raised in Omaha and loved cities, she hardly ever got to be in one after her family moved to Southern California. She moved to a small town in Orange County, which was then almost all agricultural. And she moved there just about a century ago. She ended up sitting mostly in a camp chair beside a river or a creek so that my father could fish. It was a long way from sitting in a theater watching a Broadway show. She tried to turn me into a lady, but she had trouble co coaxing me out of my treehouse or in from a street ball game. But she was hugely proud of me. Although her own education was cut short by family illness, she was a reader. And together we made a weekly visit to the local branch library. She was consistently supportive and proud of every day of my schooling. I think of her today with love. I was born on a Saturday the day before Mother's Day in 1931. So I was one day old when my mother received a dozen red roses from her only child. I did have a little help. And yes, this is my birth weekend. My birthday is May 9th. It's my 90th birthday. And being 90 feels a whole lot like being 75 or 80 or 50. Except that a number of my parts no longer work quite as well. I'm grateful for the ones that do. And especially for all the love and support that's around me. Now, try as I might, I couldn't find a good link between today's lessons and Mother's Day. Fathers seem to be the main players in the scriptures. But it's important to remember that there is no evidence that Jesus had a felt faith with a built-in 
built-in gender hierarchy, his culture did not grant power to women. Yet there are more women in his stories than in most of the other major religions. His culture made women's roles difficult to understand, but I suspect that the women are present and not always in the background during many of the gatherings. Think of the sisters, Martha and Mary. And among Christian saints, no others hold the power and prominence of Jesus's own mother. Remember too, it is a group of women who first approach Jesus's tomb and to whom he is revealed in the glory of his resurrection. So perhaps it's to the psalmist we should look for the today's theme. Sing to the Lord a new song. Today's gospel recounts the new instructions of Jesus for his small band of followers, the remaining loyal disciples. He offers them the opportunity to carry on his work of reshaping human knowledge and relationship with the creator. He calls these disciples friends. He reinforces their role in his mission. The maker of all creation is to be extolled just as has been the practice of these Jews for centuries. But now Jesus tells this small loyal group that the message is not just for them, not just for the people of the book, but for all humankind. Scholars have suggested that the scope of Jesus's ministry was revealed to him during his life and that his first ministry was to his own people, but became at last a directive for the whole world. Sing to the Lord a new song. It's now their job to spread the news of salvation to the whole world. Jesus did not come in competition with the prevailing beliefs. He came to clarify and enlarge the scope of God's love and teachings. And the God he projects for them is the one who loves the whole world and all its inhabitants. The way has been laid for the small group, but now he is ready to bring all to this path. The disciples are to take over the groundwork. So we do hear a new song and the means of instruction are new. The audience is enlarged and thus new. The followers are to become leaders. Those who had been listeners are to become speakers. The chosen ones are to be everyone. And the listening audience has become so large that you and I are part of it. When we hear the spirit, first John declares, we hear the truth. It's quite a profound, though simple message. For years, I was puzzled. Actually, I'm still a bit puzzled by the specific mission of the first disciples. They're directed to speak throughout the world of the life and promises of Jesus. We have read some of the letters, memos, we know that some traveled as far as India in one direction and Spain in the other, north to the British Isles and across North Africa. We may wonder how they kept going, how they could tell the anecdotes and parables over and over. 
Actually, we don't know just what they did say, how they attracted crowds, let alone followers. But if we try to think realistically about such travels, such revolutionary ideas, such tremendous odds faced, one of the primary miracles of Christianity is that anybody ever heard of it after about 110 AD. Yet in our world, the church is so ingrained that we all have a vivid idea of how all this instruction and inspiration plays out. It seems almost impossible to imagine that these first missionaries went about speaking of Jesus to non-Jews in foreign lands. And it is even harder perhaps to consider what those people heard, thought, acted on. Were the disciples incredibly gifted at preaching? Were the people of the so-called pagan lands desperate? What was the incentive for change, for doubting their past enough to embrace a foreign idea of one God who taught only love? Today's first reading reminds us that the salvation promised by Jesus is for everyone. Those who have been his closest followers seem a bit surprised by this. They are faithful Jews who consider themselves in a special category of salvation. But the power of the Holy Spirit is spread well beyond the Jewish followers of Jesus the prophet. All the listeners, convinced or just curious, are promised peace, salvation. And here we are, centuries later, living in a land unknown to the people of the Bible, and we hear the promise in a language unknown to those apostles, a language as foreign to them as we would find the language of the artists in the caves of Lascaux. And of course, I wonder what it would be like to travel to places who need the message of love today. Could we do it? Would any of us be able to go off armed only with the conviction of our faith, to tell the world that God loves us all and wants us to live together in peace? I admit to my own feelings of inadequacy. But let us at least try to live as if we were the children of God, that our message is love, that God loves us all. It does not seem likely that well, we will learn much more about those traveling preachers, missionaries, circuit riders, apostles. They were specially chosen. As Jesus reminds them in John's gospel, to tell all the world that the God of creation is a God of love. That all people, whoever they are, can receive and reflect that love. This is the brief but overwhelmingly powerful message of Jesus' life. Sing to the Lord a new song. For he has done marvelous things and all the ends of the earth have seen the victory of our God. Let us rejoice and be glad. And yes, happy Mother's Day, Betty. Amen. Thank you.